This podcast is brought to you by Gundog Outdoors and Dakota 283 Kennels. To save you 10% at Gundog Outdoors, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNECKS to save you 10%. To save yourself 10% on Dakota 283 Kennels and their other products, head over to dakota283.com and use code RNR10, that's RNR10, to save yourself 10%. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushem and Dustin. Welcome back, Hunters, to another Flushman Dustin Power Hour. Tonight, we have a good group of guests on. We're going to answer a few questions that we had sent in by our fans. Um, obviously, we're going to go around the horn and introduce everybody. Nick Duran, uh, co-founder with Tyler Melcher. And I'm going to ask, since he's been on before, Nate Strickler to just quick introduce himself. Nate, I know you've been on a couple times, but just snap off a little bit about who you are. Yeah, third time. Third Power yeah. Hour, if memory serves. <laughs> So Nate Strickler, uh, calling in from Central Iowa. Instagram handle is Nate P. Strickler. Um, proud owner of three Vishlas here in the house, two still hunting, one retired. Have been uh, bird hunting, upland hunting, pheasant, mostly pheasant, but some quail too, since uh, the mid-90s. And looking forward to the discussion tonight as well. Dusty, you wanna go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, Dustin Hopkins, um, calling in from uh, Montana, um, have a 22-month-old uh, golden retriever, and uh, this past season was kind of our first uh, hunting season, um, you know, stepping away from, you know, growing up under, you know, hunting with, you know, dad and grandpa and stuff like that, so it was a season where, you know, learn how to kind of train them and um, just kind of how to bird hunt out here because I've been kind of strictly doing kind of some more big game stuff out here. So it was a good first season and uh, yeah, hungry for more uh, this fall. Awesome. Nice. Branson? Branson? Yeah. Other than, Branson other than, get, is your mustache getting given an update or just <laughs> Well, you know, still haven't trimmed it. Uh, I'm, during the off season, just letting it go. So looking good, man. It's really, looking good. I like it. Man, I, I, I appreciate it. All, uh, all input is welcome on it, and I, I love the, the feedback from it. But uh, don't don't nah, ever trim it. No, nah, don't plan on it. It's, it's done. It's here to stay. <laughs> no, nah, uh, Branson Shelton with uh, Three Rivers Outdoors is my Instagram tag. Three Rivers Outdoors, okay. I got three. Uh, I got two German wire hair pointers. One Dutch drought har uh, from Southeast Oklahoma, quail hunter. Just using these dogs to be the total outdoorsman. Nice. Solid. Brian. Last but not least, Brian. Hey, I'm Brian Grave. Instagram handle Grave Brian. I got a three-year-old Brittany and a two-year-old small Munster. I'm a pheasant hunter up here in northwest Iowa. Nice. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks again for coming on to the power. We definitely appreciate it. Um, so this week we have a couple exciting questions uh, that we're excited to get into. And uh, so we'll, we'll jump right into it. Um, the first one we have is, 
Um, how many of us have a hunting mentor, which I'm assuming, you know, most people have a mentor that helped them get into hunting. So we're going to go around the horn and yep. uh, start off with, give us a story of who your mentor is, how they got you into hunting and go from there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can go. This is uh, right. obviously Nick here, but I'll jump in right away. I would say my first hunting mentor was my dad. Uh, my grandpa owned uh, a couple farms, so we were able to go hunting on that. But my dad kind of faded out of that uh, role, and I turned to uh, actually my old high school basketball coach, who is Brian Sorensen, uh, avid hunter. Uh, I learned to duck hunt from him, actually, is when I really got into duck hunting in high school, and I did that God, every weekend almost um that kind of faded out the whole duck hunting thing only because i moved away it wasn't convenient for me to go see him so just based on friends and things i used to do i kind of started going on my own so now you all happen to be my mentors um, i've learned a lot from nate he's been on several um, and try to take that away brian's gave some info uh branson you've been on for sure and then obviously tyler and i are always running ideas by each other so as of right now you're my mentors i don't have anybody in particular that i'm looking up to so i really enjoy these things yeah for sure and, and i piggyback off that nick is um i've learned since we've started ring nicks and retrievers and social media platform and started this is information i've learned from all of our guests from people reaching out to us has been great um it's helped me a ton in the upland field um my mentor um for not pheasant hunting but hunting in general uh, was my grandpa uh, as well he <clears throat> lived up in northeast iowa similar to same country that nick grew up in um uh, but he's the one who got me into hunting first into squirrel hunting i think that's what a lot of us Iowans start with and maybe outside of Iowa I don't know but um and first gun was a little 22 you know it took us took us out squirrel hunting uh super enjoyable and then there was a guy in my hometown that he had labs um that got me into pheasant hunting and his name nickname is bear uh, he's just a big burly dude he actually used to uh up in <clears throat> northern Wisconsin I believe it was he uh, actually used to run dogs with bear or run dogs for bears. Um, so that's kind of also how he got his name, but he had just a big burly dude had labs. Um, and he was the first guy that introduced me to pheasant hunting. And that's kind of where I fell in love with the, the retriever world. Don't Dustin, all speak at once. You, Dustin, why don't you go? You're next on my screen anyway. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, as far as hunting mentors go, it's definitely got to uh, got to go to my dad. He um, back in the '80s was just a nut, a small game hunting nut. He ran beagles and would hunt rabbits and um, pheasants and everything. Um, and uh, we're from Michigan, so I guess back then the pheasant population was a bit better. And uh, he was just—he's got these photos of you know, old time, you know, cruise around Michigan and everything. And uh, he would go out to trips uh, to Iowa um, with some of his buddies and stuff. So as I got older and was able to, you know, hunt uh, one of my first, uh, other than like some preserves and stuff like that um, in the in teenage years, I went out uh, with him and one of his old buddies to Iowa actually. And I think the year 2001 and got a 
hunk out a wild rooster out there and this uh, best hunt in your life probably out in Iowa. Oh man, it was uh, it was it was good at, at the time, you know, being uh, um, you know younger guy just soaking it all in. But yeah, it was a long drive, and uh, we were hunting. Uh, I think a German short hair pointer. Um, so um, remember where in Iowa? I don't remember where, and I I, uh, I I don't exactly. Yeah, I'd probably have to ask him where where that was. But I even had to scratch my brain. I'm like, when did we go to Iowa? But um since then you know um michigan as we got older the pheasant population um just was just in little pockets and rooster ranches and stuff so we would kind of go to the north woods and hunt grouse and everything and then um um i've since you know moved out to montana and everything's kind of been really self-taught and my dad never used dogs other than the beagles he had in the 80s but uh so, you know, since moving out here, I kind of will kind of piggyback also off like what Nick and Tyler were saying is uh, moving out here and trying to learn, you know, getting my first dog that's my own that I'm responsible for training and everything. You know, I was scrolling through Instagram looking for, you know, any info and stuff like that and just kind of seeing what's out there. And ironically enough, come across, you know, the ringneck and retriever page and I'm seeing, I was like, oh there's dudes hunting birds with goldens haven't haven't really seen this too much and so i kind of was seeing some of the training they were doing and i kind of reached out with some questions and stuff and we just kind of have conversed since then so yeah it's been social media for um kind of the do-it-yourself you know hunter bird dog guy um yeah it's been great so yeah, we're by and, no means experts just to <laughs> confirm that but we like to we like to help and as much yeah. as we can. And Dusty, yeah. I think you are honestly one of our very first followers that we had. Oh, yeah. No joke. That's how small we were. <laughs> but yeah, they got your picture awesome. framed, framed yeah. up and up on their walls. He, Dustin. Uh, yeah, got, got he stuck with us since yeah. the beginning. So must be doing something right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just nice to be able to, you know, because I would ask stuff to like my dad or um, you know, his buddy that you know ran the the gsp and then now does a britney and you know he that guy was kind of you know very old timer um way of training and everything and a lot of the stuff i was like well what do i you know what do you think about this for you know my golden and it, it just didn't really apply so i guess finding people that were one you know just just having the experience the you know of hunting and training the dogs whether you know pros or not just having stuff to bounce ideas off people that um will talk back and forth this is so helpful so it's been good that's great nate you're next on my screen so i'm just going right down the line fellas yeah no worries yeah and i think you've all <clears throat> You've all shared largely what I have on mine too. And you don't know how lucky you are to have forums like this, just generally the medium that we have had since what, you know, mid to late 2000s, just being able to connect with people, like-minded people and have those exchanges, Justin, Dustin, as you had shared. Mm -hmm. uh, my, uh, my experience was different, right? I, I didn't have that opportunity. I was very much dependent upon who I knew right, and what connections I had, and then listening to those stories, asking questions, et cetera. So, and some of you have heard this before, but 
I didn't grow up really in a hunting family, right? I do remember Tyler, as you had mentioned, 22 squirrels, rabbits, that type of stuff, just very infrequently with my dad, just loose memories in that regard, but nothing substantial really wasn't, didn't become a hunter until my college roommate in the mid nineties took me back to his hometown, Cray city. His name's Kevin Steenhook, still a very good friend of mine now. Uh, his father at the time had a wire hair. That was my first experience hunting pheasants behind a dog. I was enamored with the point back then there was no big block. There was very little brome at all. There was certainly no CRP. It was mostly draws in ag fields. We would hunt draws, the bird, the dog bird or the bird dog would go on point at the end. It was just, it was fantastic. And birds would flush up. Numbers were great, right? Cover was easy to walk. Dog work was good. Farm dogs were good dogs back then. Uh, so very much I owe the introduction to upland hunting and specifically pheasant hunting to my college roommate, Kevin. And as mentioned, still very good friends with him. He came up with labs. I, I spent a lot of time hunting behind his dog's labs. Uh, and now he's got GSPs and we still get together at least a couple times a year to, to do a hunt. Usually me taking him now, uh, which, which I very much enjoy. Uh, additionally, a good friend of mine that I hunt with uh, a good amount of time during season, at least 50% of the time I'm out. His name's Jason Pendergraf. He came up, moved into central Iowa from the South Oklahoma, spent some time in Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, had pointers. He grew up with pointers, hunting quail, kind of Branson, as you had mentioned, uh, just loves that aspect. When he moved into town, he had an older uh, pointer at that time. I brought him along, took his old dog out. We got on some uh, Iowa pheasants and uh, friendship since then, my gosh, 15 plus years ago. Uh, is very strong. Still one of my best friends uh, today. So I owe, it's, it's not necessarily that I have a direct mentor, a single person, but many friends still today that both introduced me to the sport, that joined me uh, in, in um, hunting, right? And then certainly others from a training aspect. I asked questions just as Dustin had, had shared, you know, he asked of you, Tyler, and you, Nick. I have friends like that, that I do the same. Yeah, uh, Dustin, um, I know everybody on here has information too, but we've learned a lot from Nate uh, just his experience. So um, find him on Instagram, see what he's doing. Um, he's yeah. uh, reach out to him as well. I'm sure he doesn't mind that either. So no, not at all. Happy to talk. Because as much as I like to act like it, I don't know everything. <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> uh, uh, awesome. Brian, Brian, you're next to my screen. So we'll have you go. So my, my hunting mentor and the person that got it all started for me was my old man, like so many other hunters. I First time I went deer hunting, I was 12. I think the first time I followed him in pheasant hunting, I was seven or eight. I think I was seven or eight. He got me a slingshot and a sack of marbles, and hunting is everything I've been about since that point. And my dad, he's had back surgery he's not able to hunt anymore so it's that's been a disappointing thing but i've started getting my wife into hunting so i've moved more from the having a mentor to being the mentor that's cool and my kids are starting getting a little bit older getting them into shooting and then more of my mentor has been in the dog training side because i grew up with labs with flushing dogs but now i run two pointers so there's been a whole bunch of things i've learned from just various people all over the place 
Nice. Brian, I just want to say, you know, you're super lucky. It's always nice out when we do this because you're always outside every podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to police my kids and pay attention to this. So it's trouble right now. That's a lot of work right there. How has it been uh, trying to get your uh, wife into the upland game? Well, the whole reason I got my second dog is because three years ago, she asked me what I wanted for my birthday, and I told her she wanted to go pheasant hunting. Within two weeks, she had decided if she was going to go pheasant hunting, she was going to have her own dog. <laughs> Dang, that's impressive. And I wish that would work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, nice. So how many does she did she join you in the field last year, or how long has she been going with you? I've, I've had her out the last two seasons. She's probably been out oh 15 times between the last two years nice and bagged her bagged her own bird she has not yet okay that's all right uh, uh, it's okay i started getting my wife out hunting um she has got her own bird but it's been a pheasant farm so not a a wild bird by any means but she has shot and got one and then we got old uh, Branson Shelton Elstasho over here. He's going to give us his rundown. Yes, as far as a hunting mentor, it had to go to my dad, my grandpa. Uh, just We grew up in a super small town. I think we have like 500 people, maybe. We have two stop signs on our main street. Uh, schools shut down during hunting season, like the first nine days of our rifle season. You know, everything just shuts down. Then quail season picks up after the first nine days. So we just roll into that. And, I mean, just the hunter is the cultural icon in southeastern Oklahoma. School so shut down? Oh, yeah, man. Like, teachers ain't going to be there. I mean, kids ain't going to be there. They're all heading out to deer camp. Which That's crazy. Grow, growing up, the quail population had dropped down so low here at home that uh, I really wasn't able to hunt very much Like or – to get any public land bird hunting behind any bird dogs. But back in the day, between my dad and my grandpa on my mom's side, the only reason why they deer hunted was because they would do that in between quail hunting. And they had bird dogs. Uh, my dad was more of the shooter, but my grandpa was always more of the uh, the dog trainer. He just had a knack for these dogs. But uh, once I started pointers. getting into it, yeah, he ran uh, L. Hughes, a bunch of English pointers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and man, he had everything. He's had beagles for rabbits. He's had coon dogs and stuff. Um, so trying to train dogs, I'm trying to take after him. A lot of it just comes natural from him. But as far as hunting with him, uh, uh, he was just, he was just a little bit too old to get out there by the time our quail numbers started getting back up into a hunting population. And for me having, uh, having somebody to hunt with, but training them he was always my mentor to go to to talk to like hey you know here's what i've got going here's what i want to do what do you think you know walk walk me through this and and man up until the day we lost him he was just super full of knowledge and just an outstanding dog man nice and then just just getting to hunt with my dad you know he he's always somebody i could always call up you know well it's it's rainy today it's uh late season you know what what do I need to be looking for? And he hasn't really quail hunted for for a long time just because of our numbers, but he can still like pinpoint you to a, a spot that's going to be dynamite. I mean, just out of the back of his mind, you know, it's pretty cool to do. Yeah, I mean that 
that's super cool and it's also cool like i think what uh we've tried to start here basically we're all each other's mentors we're trying to help each other um now oh, that i yeah, know man. that you know nate is right in my backyard closer to season we'll probably have to get together for a beer and just talk hunting yeah you it, know? so what we got going on here just using social media is one of the coolest things because oh, i mean it's this is nationwide but it, it just makes everything so much smaller and i mean we're all close because we all had the same ideals we all had the same goals what we're working towards i think it's just one of the coolest things to me yeah yeah for sure it, it's awesome how receptive the upland community is to questions to giving out information i mean not hot spots yeah. obviously but uh, you know to helping your dogs to helping you learn i mean it's it's awesome just how like you said how small the world has kind of become to help us grow yeah and and not you know i've not met anyone that's just closed-minded and does not want anyone else to start partaking in up and hunting or gun dogs or anything just being and successful where, where i'm at yeah i mean I, to, from my perspective i mean everyone i've ran into just it wants me to be just as successful as them and yep. I, I just think that's awesome and we got uh our there's just not very many quail hunters here at home anymore so i have joined the it's the it's try upland you can find them on instagram where you can actually uh submit yourself to be a mentor for people and that's one thing that I'm wanting to start doing to try to bring more kids and anyone that's willing to go quail hunting here at home, you know, to be a mentor for people. Yeah. So, you know, does, so Nate and Branson, how does speak, that work? Speaking of that, I want to give Nate props because I know he's been doing this. Uh, he's been taking kids out, mentoring them, getting them to hunting. Uh, I think it's super cool. Um, I think it's something, yeah, like Tyler said, how do we do this? How do we become a mentor? Um, would love to do it. Yeah, the Triupland site, I do talk to these, uh, those folks, well, talk to, you know, social media exchanges, right, Instagram exchanges with these folks uh, for the past, uh, they're not that old, Branson, I don't think, maybe they, have, I don't even know if they've been around a year, but this past season, I was definitely no. talking with them, yeah. No, not not even a year, I think it was uh, yeah. Isaac Neal and Nathaniel Lakey, you can find them on Instagram, those are yeah. one of the two head guys in it, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's not been around very long. Yeah, Lakey's Instagram is cool. He's got great photos. Um, so uh, how does it work? Um, in, in my experience, and I don't know if it's uh, if my experience is the same as everybody else's, but it hasn't yet netted any uh, connections. Like nobody has, nobody net new has reached out to me, but I've offered my time and services um, for that potential to happen. And then the same thing, Pheasants Forever does the same thing, right? A mentorship pledge or something like that, uh, of which I'm a part of as well, but it hasn't um, netted any net new connections just yet. And actually, I think that's something that, that uh, sorry, my female vicious trying to want some loving right now. Um, that's something that I think we're, we haven't yet figured out. We, within the Upland community, despite um, very much wanting to help each other and not be closed-minded, I agree with what you had shared, Branson. I don't think we've yet figured out how to really establish connection between, you know, private individuals. Um, a lot of the focus from charitable or nonprofit organizations, youth hunts, youth shoots, things like that, game farm stuff, Nick, as you had mentioned, right, your wife shooting a bird at a game farm. I think we've, we've done that well, but we haven't yet tapped into what I think is the biggest market and opportunity for us, and that's connecting private individuals to private individuals that can take advantage 
of their land that they own or land that they have access to. And that, I think, I think that lends to ideally lighting a fire in our youth, right? Uh, so that your kids have similar or better, ideally better opportunity than, than um, we do today. So it's a great idea. Yeah, that, that is a very good idea. Do you, so do you basically just go to tryupland.com, fill out a form and is it open to yeah. like all states or, you know, Dusty, could he fill it out and people out in Montana could contact him so. or? Yeah, I believe okay. so. I, didn't know I think if they it was had like reached Midwest or no, I, I think it's nationwide. Uh, if memory serves, they had reached out to me. I think I think they pay attention. They do a nice job seeing who who you know is is uh, kind of consistently involving youth and yeah. reach out. And we just we shared stories and talk strategy a little bit, and then they they pointed me in that direction. So. Okay. Um, credit to them and they're you know i'm fully behind you know their intent and supportive of of their their mission for sure yeah to me it definitely helps out getting into the youth i mean it's one thing to be an adult want to get into it but if you really want to hit home and like really create a hunter that's going to follow suit or follow through all the way through their adulthood and get their own dogs keep on doing this hitting them young is the key in my opinion yep yeah definitely so is there is there like your mic's working tyler uh, now is it yeah i can hear you now can you hear me yeah we got you okay so the the questionnaire or anything do they have like certain requirements as a hunter that you have to meet to be a mentor or is it because you know like obviously you don't want just anybody coming up you know and mentoring people you obviously want experience good gun experience you know safety um whatnot i just didn't know if there was a they kind of go through and have random you know questions that they want answered prior to like accepting you into the be a mentor i don't recall that uh personally uh i don't know branson was your experience it was it was really completing a web form you know they reached out they said hey will you do this sure no problem had back and forth exchange send me a link complete a web form and that was the last i heard of it same um i don't recall anything like that but i'm sure i don't know i figured you'd have to have something to uh be willing to follow through with it Yeah, yeah for sure Maybe no, Branson just... and I didn't pass the background check. Maybe that's <laughs> not, the issue. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so Branson, how are the quail numbers coming into another question? How are the quail numbers in down in Oklahoma? I mean, one of our questions was, you know, why aren't people hunting quail in Iowa? But I mean, I think we all know the numbers are slowly coming back, but you mentioned earlier how the quail, how's, How's the quail numbers looking down there? So I can't speak for Western Oklahoma, which is normally the go-to location that anyone wants to come to hunt quail. I mean, when you talk about going pheasant hunting, everyone has their target set on South Dakota and somewhere in the Midwest. But for quail, it's always been Western Oklahoma. Where I'm at in far southeastern Oklahoma is completely different terrain and different landscape and habitat for them. So it's going to be a little bit skewed 
but in I would say in the past four years, our numbers have steadily been coming up, maybe even longer than that. But the uh, our wildlife biologists here for the state have been really doing a jam up job, uh, just staying on top of it. We do a uh, late season timber hunt where the guys from Quail Forever will come down with our biologists and we'll examine the crops of every bird that we harvest and the age. Uh, try to figure out what they're eating, what's going on, and how we can better the habitat around them because where, where I'm at is all managed for uh, timber by timber companies. So there's a lot of clear cuts and it's going to create a lot of diverse habitat, but they have been coming up. Uh, and this year was the first year in four years that I have felt comfortable even pulling the trigger on the covey. I, ba I bagged one bird stuffed it in my pocket and I headed to the truck and now I was done after that I was completely satisfied yeah uh, but I mean there's just it's just steadily coming up there's a lot of good work going on uh it's hard to speak for the rest of the country what's going on but I know right now we're seeing a lot of rain which is not ideal yeah. at this time and it's I'm really kind of worried about it I plan on going out this weekend to start doing my just whistle count surveys I mean, the state does their own but I like to get up there and kind of get a head start on them myself and kind of jot down my locations also. Yeah, for sure. That's good scouting. I know uh, Nate last year, I saw you uh, posted one day you bagged out early, which seems like you do a lot of, um, mm -hmm. but that you were heading to look for some quail. Did you find some, some luck in Iowa this past year? And if so, how did you find the luck? We did. <laughs> and as, as ironic as it might might sound, my best quail days were when I wasn't chasing quail. Uh, I just lucked into them. I'll be honest. I am not uh, a quail guy. This is where I rely on my buddy Jason. That's from the south. Who he's just got that. I can't. One of you had just met. I think might have been Branson talked about. Right, his dad can just pinpoint that stuff. That's kind of how my buddy is from a quail habitat perspective. And I think the day that you're referencing, Tyler, I don't think we got into them. <laughs> nice right dogs there. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, quail, uh, what? Yeah, that's right. Um, we worked our way south. And we put, I don't know, 300 miles on um, just scouting, looking for habitat, getting out and, and putting miles on the boots. And I don't think we even got into a covey. Um, but we did, uh, we did have a few instances. I didn't shoot many quail maybe, I don't even know what it is, seven, seven yeah. to 10 quail. Um, and for a lot of years, I mean, a whole lot of years until last season, two seasons ago, in fact, was the first time I even pulled the, pulled the trigger on a quail because I just, I didn't see the numbers there. And then at that point in time, we didn't shoot them until, I didn't shoot them and my buddy didn't shoot them until we saw a ninth bird because we figured eight, they could covey up and endure the colder temps. Yeah. Um, I've always heard that, uh, once a covey gets below 10, their, their chances of survival just dramatically starts decreasing. Well, damn, you're up. So I thought it was eight. So now I got to look for 10. It, it, I can't shoot until I see 11 now. Damn. It, it, might, it might be that way down here. It's tough down here. <laughs> well, it's huh. a hell of a lot colder up here. Do you know, uh, do you know why sure. the, their chances diminish when it's lower do they use do they huddle together for body warmth yeah, they, all winter or they, is it yeah they huddle in a circle right with their kind of heads facing out and they use each other for body warmth okay nice huh. it's interesting yeah 
Yeah, we. I saw some quail this year, um, even up by Cedar missed Rapids them. area. Missed them, but yeah, other than that. Well, my dog caught one, so I didn't have to even <laughs> shoot, which was pretty cool. It was they must have there was after we had some good amount of snow, so they couldn't really do much uh, walking on it, but they were under a pine tree thicket, and she did her little point thing that she does sometimes, and dove in and i mean her whole body was basically underneath the snow and comes out and she had a quail in her mouth and i was like <laughs> happy but not happy because i was like oh dang it i didn't really want her to you know get it um just because i've only seen them out here the past two years so trying to get them to you know survive and whatnot is always nice to see is your goldens do they work quail any differently than like say a pointing dogwood or no i should I mean, don't even answer it like that. Do your dogs work quail differently than pheasant? They do the same. Um, I mean, if if a pheasant's holding tight, they'll Lola will point on it. Murph sometimes does, but um, the only thing that maybe is a little different is she'll get a maybe a little lower to the ground because the the quail is a little lower. You know, I don't teach her to mm-hmm. keep her head up or anything. Um, but other than that. I haven't noticed any, any difference in him. I don't, Nicky, when we've seen, when I've seen Diesel, I don't think he's. No, he's pretty much the same. You, um, know, and, you can just tell he's got one kind of birdie style and it's on once, once that happens. So no, he hasn't, I don't think he's uh, in the last six years, I haven't seen any change from quill to pheasant, but that could also be because I've went and took him to pheasant farms and I've bought quail and pheasant mm-hmm. and hotted him. So yeah. Might be one of the benefits of just running the pointing dog, just from seeing the, their body language. I can I can always tell like when it's going to be a cubby, a quail versus a pheasant. I mean, they're just right. the the scent cone. I think is just so much stronger on a, a cubby that hasn't flushed yet. Yeah. Do they are they pointing further away or further away? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, a pheasant, which when I'm up there in pheasant country, I know what's going to be anyway. But there's always a chance that there could be a mixed bag opportunity. Could be some quail. You'll just see them a, just a lot more sure nosed. Uh, you won't see them relocate like once. That's just a staunch point right off the bat. So mm-hmm. once you start seeing that, you kind of can look at your cover and know it. There's a good chance it's going to be a quail. So yeah, nice. I agree. Same with same with my dogs. It always takes them a little bit because we just don't see a lot of wild quail. And 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 when we do, typically my dogs are a little soft up front because they're not big coveys. Branson, you know, they're a lot of singles yeah. initially. Uh, or, you know, a handful of birds, just not big, big coveys. Uh, but once they dial it in, um, it is a different look. Mm-hmm. And the quail are great because they hold tight, right? So the dog's high and tail high, head high, staunch. Uh, it's it's very pretty. I, I could see why people get into quail hunting. If we had the numbers here, I would yeah. definitely and they're uh, fast be an active bitches too. They're hard to hit. <laughs> Justin, have you uh, had any experience with quail out? I guess I don't even know if there's quail out in Montana. No, I've never, uh, no, there's no quail out here and nor have I ever, you know, hunted, you know, at a farm or trained or anything with them. So no, no quail opportunities for me, but yeah. You guys have diverse birds out there though. You have. Yeah. Yeah. Sharp, so you have sharp tail, don't you? Tons of, tons of sharp tail. Um, just a few years ago, you know, learning really what they were. I know that the first time it was when I just got the dog, um, my dog, he was, 
uh, born in August. So the first season with him, I was like, he's, he's too young. I haven't, you know, done any like gun proofing with him. So I just kind of went, uh, not too far from my house and, um, I bumped into, um, bumped into Sharptail and bumped into Huns out there. And it just was kind of like, you know, the first Sharptail that goes up, I was like, I, I, a coworker of mine was kind of a, she's a bit of an upland hunter. And I was like, okay, so this, this bird, they, they came from a covey, they did this and they did this little like hoot laugh as they were flying away. I'm like, what, what bird was that? Cause you know, Michigan, we've got where I'm from, you know, you got rough grouse and I heard way up North there are sharp tail, but never have seen one before. So here I am out here just, you know, probably looking like an idiot. Like, what are these, what are these birds? Can I shoot them? What is this? So it was a, it was a fun learning experience. And then uh, this year, you know, knowing what all was out there and knowing what bag limits were on everything. Um, you want to talk about a mixed bag. There's a spot um, about 45 minutes from me. It's a wildlife uh, or a waterfall production area. And I was able to get a rooster, two huns, and miss the sharp tail. And typically everybody, you know, always says, you know, um, you know, if you're looking for sharp tail, you won't find pheasant and vice versa. Well, this, this spot of land, I found all three. So luck of the draw, but uh, um, yeah, as far as the huns, I'd really like to, um, focus on those a lot more. Uh, I, they're a little bit more sporadic, but I kind of know where they are, but, uh, sharp tail are just sharp tail are everywhere and pheasants out here are just driving the back roads and stuff. Um, you know, the other day I did a, a drive that was only a couple miles and counted like seven. So, um, yeah, diverse species. And, um, we do have a sage grouse season that goes, um, the month of September. I believe it's still standing that it's like the first through the 30th and you got to travel a bit kind of more north northeast to get onto the sage grouse uh, areas but uh, and then uh, if you go kind of more in the woods and stuff like that you've got kind of your typical like mountain grouse you've got kind of your you know rough grouse and stuff so yeah you can and it's kind of the 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 balance now being out here and knowing all the opportunities i'm like when am i going to find time to squeeze in you know to deer hunt or elk hunt and you're not I going feel, to yeah i feel bad i'm like <laughs> i i did a little bit of deer hunting and nothing worked out they were all on private land you know they 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 seem to know and uh i just kind of felt bad leaving the dog behind where i'm like he, he was like, I see you gearing up. You've got your, you've got a gun. Why am I not going? So. Yeah, I used to, uh, I used to from God, eight, seventh, eighth grade year till I was out of college, maybe a little even after that. I used to deer hunt, turkey hunt, pheasant hunt, uh, duck, goose. I did everything. And now I'm just pheasant hunting. <laughs> <laughs> keeps so, you busy yeah <clears throat> but uh man i tell you guys all this uh talking about birds and shooting them it's got us a little hungry well me a little hungry i haven't ate supper yet and it's pretty late but uh one of our questions was 
what are some of our favorite meals <coughs> to cook up after bringing the birds home? So honestly, I don't really have like anything special that I do. Um, I did do start this year, um, breading the pheasant or quail or, and, uh, putting it in a air fryer and oh. then mixing it with, uh, some wild rice and like cream of chicken soup and making a nice smorgasbord type, uh, meal. It actually turned out pretty good. Uh, but I mean, I'm open to hear some, some good recipes. So I'll go. One thing I did this past year was I cut it up into like chicken strips, basically, or boneless wings, if you will. And I made them like I make my boneless wings. And man, I think they were better than chicken wings. It was, it was fantastic. Well, how'd you make them? Um, so I do an hour on, um, I usually put a rub on them, put them on for an hour. Are you using a smoker? Using a smoker, camp chef smoker is what I have. Um, so I smoke them for an hour and then I pull them off and then I put the usually barbecue sauce on them. And then I let that on there for another hour and then you pull them off and man, they are just, they're so good. They're fantastic. And you can use, you can use any rub you want, any barbecue sauce you want. Uh, but that's how I did mine. And even Brie was like, my wife was just like, man, I think these are better than those, the that chicken. I was like, I, I agree. Um, so what's your temp? Out. What's your smoke? Uh, high smoke. So 225. Yeah. I also do a lot of smoking. We, we, uh, I don't, I don't do anything special. Uh, I've got three kids at home expediency, getting stuff done fast, <laughs> um, going through the volume of pheasants that we, we bring home, uh, to stay legal, um, <laughs> is, is probably, is probably <laughs> priority for us. Uh, but anyway, you cook chicken, we can cook it. We, I do a lot of smoking as well. I still like, you know, some of the purists think this is sacrilegious, but I like having bacon involved in recipes. Yes. Um, don't, 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 don't overcook wild game, including pheasant. If you overcook it, it gets dry. Right. Uh, but you know, back in the nineties, it used to be cream and mushroom soup in a crock pot, right? There weren't air fryers and all that, or even smokers, but now a lot of smoking, a lot of, um, any chicken casserole, um, type meal. Uh, also do chicken strips or chicken nuggets type or pheasant strips, pheasant nuggets, all that type of stuff uh, as well. But the smoker is definitely your friend. You can go low and slow, right? Uh, and make sure you keep that that tender, um, the tenderness to the meat. And I think that's key. What kind it's of smoker good. are you using, Nate? Traeger? Well, we just got, uh, funny you should ask. Uh, we just got a Rectech, just got the Rectech 700. Oh. And I carried that heavy son of a bitch around to the back. Um, but until then we were just using an electric, a cheap electric smoker, honestly. And yeah. most of the time, most of the time I would just do, just do breasts, uh, and I'd wrap breasts in bacon, wouldn't even pin them with, with, uh, with toothpicks. And I just do that at 225 until it got to what, 165 and pull them, yep. take about 52 minutes. I think it was, uh, and my kids would, we would just roll, just roll through the pheasant that way. Nice. It's a good idea. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. do more bacon wrap pheasant. Yeah. Oh, one more, one more came to mind. If you strip them out and this is a key here, you want a nugget. This is the nugget. Uh, when you have a pheasant breast, take the tender off. I'm assuming most of you take the tender off. Is that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you peel the little, the film off the tender, right? 
Okay, set that aside, soak that tender. Next day, pull the tendon out of the tender. Make sure you do that before you cook it or eat it. So much better. Then here's the part that I think most people don't do. On the breast, where it was connecting to the wing, you can see the white tendon there and it runs down through the breast. Just like you're, if you're filleting a walleye pike or something like that, fillet that tendon out of there before you strip it. So Nick, I stripped that into three. So then I have the tender and then three strips out of the breast and you pull that ligament or that tendon out of that. It's so much more tender. That's your pro That's tip. a game changer. I'll have to pro try tip, that. Boys. Mm. Yeah. Hell yeah. I gotta say, I, I have tried Tyler's recipe for the air fryer last year and we went nuts for that. I mean, we wouldn't even go for Chick-fil-A anymore. We're just going to fry some of those things up. Like yeah. Just <laughs> some nuggets. That's dynamite, man. Hell yeah, taking over. <laughs> it did. It turned out super good. I was surprised, you know. I'm, I think it all depends on the breading you have on it, too, a little bit. Yeah. You give it a little extra flavor. And as long as you don't put it in there too long and, like Nate said, dry it out, because long game, you can dry out pretty easily. But, and that first time I had it, I was like, oh, oh. Poor little yeah, but we went there real quick. I was pretty pumped up about that. Yeah, for sure. So you got you got a nice crispy outside in the air fryer and still moist on the inside. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna have to give and that we, a go. And I did it like I didn't put many in at once just to give it a nice even air through the air yeah, fryer. Exposure. I think if you yeah. put too many in, uh, it gets a little uneven, and maybe your top ones, um, you know, get more done or done a lot quicker. Uh, so I just kept it one level. So it took a little bit longer, you know, with, you know, I was speaking with kids, it'd be pretty hard to probably do that unless you had a nice size air fryer, um, you know, just to satisfy them quick enough. But uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Tastes pretty good. Cool. In my neck of the woods, if you aren't taking your quail and I do the same thing with pheasant also, but if you aren't taking them, just battering them and frying, I mean, that's a, that's a cardinal sin, man. Just throw them <laughs> in some cast iron with some hot grease. And yeah. you, you, you will never be like some down. good old Southern cooking. That's right, man. Sure. Make some gravy up with your grease after that. It's, you're <laughs> for a treat. But I also do all the smoking also. I got a pellet smoker and man, just the throw a pheasant breast on there and i do it strips also man it, it always turns out great as long as you get to that temper out it's it's always good same thing you you usually roll at 225 or so about 225 yes sir yeah. i think the pellet grills have done wonders for <laughs> the outdoor cooking i mean i won't use anything else if i'm cooking i i that's all i ever use i love my smoker yeah and it is yeah, for like for, for deer meat for pheasant like you said Tyler, anything any wild game that, that's mm -hmm. so lean it's just going to dry out so fast and the, you just really die dial in your temperature and just walk away and not really be too concerned about it it's, yeah that's where it's at yeah i agree guess i gotta get a smoker you do man <laughs> yeah yes heck yeah <laughs> so. i just did ribs this past weekend i like to do wings and mm -hmm. i did a uh brisket the other weekend i i almost every weekend i smoke some meat <laughs> nice. nate check out old station meat market in walkie if you haven't been there okay bam. my wife just went up to that new place that opened in ankeny can't remember what it's called oh i heard she, that was open i haven't been there yet yeah just opened the grand opening she brought back a bunch of meat and we we did a brisket as well yeah mm. 
Have any of you guys found out a proper way to use any of the legs off of a pheasant? Uh, I kind of have a suggestion of kind of what uh, uh, what I was doing. It's kind of different. Um, we're doing like pheasant noodle soup. So basically you just kind of, you know, you get your bird and you kind of pull off, you know, like you would get like a rotisserie chicken or something, but, you know, kind of trim and pull off everything you can, you know, you can do legs and scraps and stuff and then kind of boil that all um, and cook it. And then you, of course, add that to your, you know, chicken noodle soup or your, you know, your chicken broth and everything like that. And it, it turned out, it turned out really well. And we were able to get quite a few meals out of it. Um, you know, one time I got the pheasant and the two huns, you know, I had all the meat and I was like, all right, we'll just have a multi-species little uh, <laughs> uh, noodle soup. And yeah, even the wife was like, yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty good. But as far as, uh, you know, anything else cook wise, you know, it's just kind of simple, you know, roasting them and stuff. So yeah, I've, as far as cooking them, I've got a lot to learn and lot, lots of, got to sit through a lot of recipes. So mm but yeah maybe maybe kind of some soups or something for the legs i've got a i got a couple gallon bags of legs sitting in my freezer and it just it pains me to throw away any yeah. amount of meat like that so i'm bound and determined to find a way to use these things whether it be taco or or soup or something like you know anything like that a couple gallon oh. bags of legs yeah. huh yeah yeah man <laughs> so here's what I, i've done a couple things so uh, back before I had so many <laughs> uh, time commitments with the kids is I used to take the whole leg off like that and then I would smoke them, right? And then I would just, I'd strip the meat like you're making uh, like shredded pork off that because we, I trust we all know it's the tendons within the legs that makes them a pain in the ass, right? Um, so you've got a couple of approaches. You can cook them whole and then strip the meat off. And we would just do then smoked meat in baggies and actually eat them while we're hunting. We did, I used to do that many, many years ago, uh, but it's kind of, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and then, so there's different ways in which, you know, you can clean to try to remove the tendons. None of them have worked great for me. So what I usually do, and I have videos, I have a video on YouTube where I can show you how I do this. Uh, but the top side, it's basically knee up, if you will. The under half, which is the thigh, that's like the chicken thigh, right? I take that off and I, I fillet basically at the knee, then down along the bone and off. So I have the chicken thigh and then I pull it apart with my hands and then you've got the, the vein in there. I pull that vein out and it looks just like a small chicken thigh. And then I eat that. And then the top side of that, I take off and I'll usually throw that in for ground because um, I'll do ground as well. The bottom... I take the top and bottom off the leg, also flaying straight down to the bone, then off, and I pull it out with my fingers so I don't have tendons, and that goes in the dog, dog meat. So all pheasants that I clean, I take every bit of meat, organs, everything, and when I get done hunting, I boil that up, and then the dogs have that on top of their dry food every time we get done eating. So there's no waste on my side. So that's, that's awesome. what I do pretty consistently another a cool tip somebody showed me getting back to the mentoring thing been hunting for 30 years right somebody i took out um last year he's here in central iowa as well he just reached out and asked if i'd take him he showed me a tip and this is pretty cool you take the leg 
off. So you have the whole leg off. And then at the knee of the leg, see if I can explain this. You basically take your fillet knife and you go around the circle, the entire circumference of the bone at the knee. Then you pinch it with your fingers right there, squeeze really hard against the bone and slide it off. And then what you have is the entirety of the upper leg in one piece. And then you can just rip that and it unfolds and it looks again, just like that, like a chicken thigh. It's pretty, it's pretty slick. And then you could just grill them up or do anything that you want to throw them on a smoker, et cetera. It was a really clean, clean way in which to get that off. Huh. Nice. Is, so you basically like debone it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Nice. It's like, it, it looks just just like a small chicken thigh when you huh. do it that latter way. That's pretty um, legit. And if they're not shot up, that's what I'll do first. If they're shot up and I got to work around BBs or, or what have you, um, then I'll just take as much as I can and either grind it for, for my use or throw it in the pot for the dogs. Yeah. That's good. That's a good idea to use it for the top of the dog food. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do that. Give them a little treat. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. yeah. Brian, you, Brian, you got anything? Oh, my favorite thing for pheasant legs. I don't know if any of you guys ever used an Instapot before. It's an electric yep. pressure cooker. But if you cook your pheasant legs in there, they're super easy to pick all those tendons off once you find where they're all running. And also the liquid you use when you're cooking in there, then you have pheasant stock when you're done. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Resourceful, you guys. Jeez. That's awesome. Yeah, it is Much more than I am. <laughs> How many do you throw in, Brian? How many legs do you put in the Instapot? Oh, six or eight at a time, kind of depending on how much I am I can fit. Yeah. Very cool. Are they laying on top of each other? Do you got them kind of spread out? Like, I guess what's your... It, it's just kind of like a metal stock bowl that fits inside of them. You just pile them full and then you just fill it up to the top or fill it above the meat with water and set it to cook for about 45 minutes. Nice. I have to look at that old Instapot. I've heard of them, never used one though. So, yeah, good. good. Awesome. It could be worth it if you're able to save those legs and made them. So, yeah, yeah, all two gallons or all gallon bags of them. <laughs> <laughs> so. For sure, the top side, I mean, the top side of the leg is really easy. Branson, give that a try. Thaw one out. And yeah, uh, well, I actually, I really like the thigh part, and I do that a lot. Yeah. Whenever we, we fry them, and it, man, they turn out great. But uh, yeah. just the the drumstick part is the, yes. the biggest deal. I hate wasting yep. it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Nate, you said you had a YouTube video of. Yeah. How I, I, I think it's like a six, six minute long clip. Hit me up and I can show you how I clean the entirety of a pheasant. Yeah. Um, sure. Which includes what I do with the legs, obviously how I breast the bird out. And then I take, uh, and then what goes to the dog, et cetera. Nice. That'd oh. be an awesome video to share. You might as well, you might as well just send that over. Cause I want to see it. Yeah. Right. I'm, not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna hit you up just send it over all right i'll do it I'll yeah that'll be that's a that'd be a super good video for a lot of people to see i think so yeah especially talking about the mentor deal i mean that's very useful for somebody just yeah. getting into it yep that's a good point i yeah, shot a bird people, now what yep right some yeah. people focus just too much on <laughs> up to that point and not after mm -hmm. so oh. awesome mm -hmm. well guys we appreciate you for coming on the power hour. Uh, it's been a good hour. Hope you guys had fun. I actually learned 
a ton again. I've yeah. every one of these I've learned a lot. So looking forward to the season, cooking up some food. Nate, can't wait to see that video to learn how I can better clean my birds. Um, everybody else, thanks for the tips. The uh, we didn't get any tricks this time, but so that's not gonna work. But we definitely appreciate you coming on the flush from dust and power hour. Uh, we hope to have you guys stop back on our next one. Yes. Thanks, everybody. We'll do it. Have a Thanks great night. Guys. Take, Take care. Night. Take it easy, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bye.